Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We love having you here, and it's our mission to bring you all the latest and greatest tips, skills, and know-how to make you the best that you can be. Now, now, let's get started. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Ascendo Connect's very first podcast. This morning, I have a very special guest with me, Claudia Cadena, founder and principal consultant of Trade Advisory. How are you today, Claudia? Good morning, Ashwin. How are you? Great to, ha- to be you, with you today. Yeah, thank you very much for taking the time. I know things are busy right now. Yeah, but it's good to, to be with you and be able to contribute in this way. Yeah, so let me just kick it off. How are things going? How are you dealing with the whole CMTO thing and the whole pandemic issues? Well, uh, I think um, it all depends on our frame of mind. So I've taken it very positively. Uh, There have always uh, been um, a lot of changes um, that have taken place. Uh, And I've tried to make the best out of it. Uh, To be honest, I've learned a lot of new things. Uh, Suddenly, I enjoy my gardening, enjoy my cooking. I'm doing (laughs) some painting. So it's been great. We found found new skills, huh? Yeah, new skills uh, and obviously continued supporting clients um, in this process, which is obviously very important considering that there are so many changes taking place. Definitely. And I think even, I mean, even to someone as experienced as you, I think this this has taught us new ways to deal with these kind of situations and issues and really brought to light how HR plays a big role in this. Absolutely. Um, the changes are enormous and this is an opportunity for all of us to rethink the way we manage our people we manage our operations and we manage our business so we can sit and cry about it or we can stand up and do something about it and that's the attitude that i've taken let's do something about it and let's help our clients make that transition perfect perfect i i love that mindset i'm going into a little more on just what you said since you brought that up you know, this whole shift from office to home workforce has impacted a lot of companies, but especially those who weren't really ready strategically and operationally for a digital workforce. How do you think yeah. this has impacted some of the companies out there today? Well, um, as we were just saying, I think the change is tremendous and the change is in a variety of aspects. It's not just about the workforce. It's really an encompassing change about the workforce the work itself and the workplace. So um, we will need to be um, focusing on the three elements at the same time so that we don't uh, ignore any of the aspects that will help organizations go back to operations uh, in the best possible way. And I think that's that's a very good point. I think it's a very big deal because you're dealing with the change of work, workplace and workforce all at the same time. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's huge. And how, how do you think, right? Okay, because now we have some companies reopening, trying to come up with some shift sort of systems or yeah. half in, half out kind of thing. I yeah. think you were dealing with clients who do the same as well. Yeah. How do you think it impacts leaders, you know, especially those leaders who weren't ready or, or, or who have never led a team virtually? Yeah. So um, what um, I have been doing is helping leaders and organizations think through a, a, a through a framework to support them in that process so if you as a leader um were not used to um, technology or were not used to working remotely uh, the first thing that you as a leader need to do is 
accept and acknowledge the fact that this situation is creating the need to start looking at all of these elements and figure them out one at a time. So there are ways in which you can go through the through a process to reimagine and reinvent or redesign all the aspects related to how do you work remotely? How do you help your teams remain productive? How do you reorganize your office? How do you yeah. even look at your processes and, and start thinking, are they relevant or do we need to change them? Yeah, and I think I think one of the things um, as we were discussing along the way and we we're talking about this, when you said the word productive, I think that, that also takes a whole new definition, I think, in these kind of times, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, with the clients I'm working at the moment, for those who are taking the approach of work from home, the message to employees is very simple. It's not about the fact that you are working from nine to five at home, because what matters at the moment most is the output that you produce. So are you able to produce what is expected of you, whether it is in one hour, in five hours, in eight hours, or in 12 hours? So the message to employees need to be around output rather than time spent in front of your computer or your phone or whatever that it may be that you use as your working tool. Correct. And I think I think that really reimagines the whole idea of how we used to do it, you know, the clock in, clock out system, nine to five. Even though you may not have the work to fill that capacity, now, yeah. now it's really about the output you produce in any amount of hours up to you. But Absolutely. basically you and that's a huge change in mindset because uh, in the past uh, we had that sort of very clear distinction or you are in the office you are expected to be working you get out yeah. of the office and for most people they are expected to be focusing on something else so that that is also something that is impacting many employees now that they are at home making that transition between what hours of the day do i focus on my work and what hours of the day i focus on my family life um, and yeah. both parties are struggling with creating that divide and we are working with our clients to to make sure that that divide is generated how do we make sure that now because people are at home 24 hours that managers and leaders don't simply call uh, employees at any point in time because now you're in the house therefore you must be alert and always waiting for my next email that will create unnecessary tensions so that's reimagining uh, the the work itself right like looking at what's the next what's our new timetable how do we operate collaboratively within a frame and a time span uh, to enable you to feel productive but at the same time be able to have a family life that is harmonious as well yeah it brings a whole new meaning to accountability as well in that in that aspect of things correct yeah and i think uh, claudia one of the practices that um, we we were talking to a lot of clients and we're seeing the market out there. One of the main practices that we saw being impacted was the more traditional approach to succession planning, right? I wanted to get your view on this because typically the this is a practice that relies heavily on things like, you know, a day-to-day conversations that I have, relationships, interactions that we have in the office. But with the shift to now us being mainly out of the office, whether you're doing split shifts or what, uh, this practice becomes impacted for those who rely on the traditional process. What are your thoughts on that? 
Well, I actually disagree with that thought. Um, oh, if, you okay. think, if you think about it, um, <laughs> success, nice. what is succession planning and how do we use succession planning? Um, it is a process of identifying uh, talent that is able to take over particular roles everywhere yeah. and anywhere in the organization. The fact that we are currently working remotely does not stop individuals or leaders for that matter to continue having that interaction. It may not be that physical proximity that we used to enjoy before when we were all in the office. But yeah. if you go back to what we were saying, now more than ever, output is what matters, right? So Correct. this is what leaders should focus on when looking at succession. What is the output? Is this person able to produce that output? Now, with additional considerations, independently, remotely, without maybe sometimes the relevant uh, information or maybe without uh, accurate information or all the information. So it's now perhaps the right time to start rethinking what is it that we want to evaluate in an individual for succession purposes. But remoteness is not going to be a hindrance. So if any uh, client is saying, oh, I'll have to stop my succession planning because now we are uh, working remotely, I will challenge that thought and I will say, no, let's reimagine the way we look at succession planning and let's take advantage of this opportunity to look at it differently. And to that point also, does it give us that opportunity to become more objective in our succession planning because like you mentioned, we may not have as much of the interaction and we have to rely a lot more on outputs and different data points. I think this is an opportunity for, for those who maybe the practice has been more traditional to start reimagining and becoming more objective in their process as well. Yeah, you've actually nailed it. Um, you know mm -hmm. uh, that all of us have biases and all yes. of us somehow... Um, if, if we are not conscious, we may just favor the person that meets you more often, that yeah. uh, brings you the coffee, that uh, is always the I mean, more I mean, extroverted. We may not even know that we are relying on those things to make the decision, but exactly. unconsciously. So our unconscious biases will absolutely sort of dissipate because uh, now there is no chit-chatting, there's no lingering in the pantry, there's none of yeah. that. Uh, yeah. The dynamics completely change and therefore if the focus is on output, um, this type of biases will perhaps be more difficult or, or will disappear, which is a great thing for succession and for talent. Correct, that's true, that's true. And earlier you, you mentioned about, you know, typically succession has always been about filling a particular role. Now, a lot of these have been cited, right, especially in succession planning, that we only do succession planning at very high levels or mission critical roles. And we've seen this a lot in clients too, whether it's, you know, whether it's non-scalability of the type of process they are doing or whether it's the cost, uh, cost reasoning. But of course, you know, only reserving succession planning for certain levels may jeopardize long-term talents, internal talents especially, so what is your view on where does succession planning actually need to start and end? Yeah, so again, here we go with another perhaps preconceived idea as to what succession planning is all about. Yeah. Um, in my opinion, um, this has taken place in that manner simply because um, we have had to almost push the agenda of succession planning in many organizations because uh, it didn't exist. So as the starting point, the succession planning framework was introduced to perhaps 
um, identify people who could potentially succeed the CEO and the C-suite uh, level yeah. individuals. But if you look at it more broadly, you can basically um, conclude that succession planning and talent management is something that should happen across the organization because there are critical roles that exist within the entire level of the organization. And if we don't, number one, identify those critical roles, and number two, identify who could potentially fill the gaps if somebody resigns or wins the lottery and decides not to work anymore, then it becomes a business continuity issue. So in my opinion, yeah. what needs to change is the approach towards filling a capability or uh, capability gaps or, or talent gaps. Um, and again, going back to let's use this opportunity to take it to the next level and now start looking at succession and talent across critical roles through the organization. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And uh, uh, recently I just wrote a blog on this as well. One of the examples I really like was uh, how Steve Jobs actually created an entire Apple University just to groom Tim Cook to become his successor as CEO. So that's really talking about development. And now it's gone across the organization as well as a way of how do I become the next Steve Jobs? Uh, I thought that was a really, really good example of let's not differentiate succession planning and development. Let's take it as a continuity process. And, and I tell you one thing, um, when you start opening up um, these succession planning um, efforts towards the lower level of the organizations, you will be surprised with the level of talent that you can uncover. Suddenly, your opportunities enlarge exponentially. And maybe somebody who is just at the executive level may show tremendous amount of potential to become the next CHRO or operations head, uh, but obviously with time, right? So that's where our Definitely. performance and potential come into play. Absolutely right. And, and what about the balance between the internal versus external? Do I buy or do I build? Is there um, a secret recipe to that balance to that, that that people need to know about? <sighs> Uh, in HR, there is never a secret recipe. There is what's <laughs> a recipe, <laughs> which we need to just um, perfect. Absolutely, so experiment as well. <laughs> in my opinion, I think um, what is very important is that uh, we first start by, as, as we were saying, let's identify the critical roles. When we have the critical roles, we can then say to ourselves, who do we have internally that have the knowledge, the skills, the capability, and the potential to continue progressing internally to perform different roles in the future? That analysis and that uh, data availability will then help you to decide whether you have internally the resources that you need in the future. The same data may tell you Actually, there are certain skill sets that we don't have internally. And therefore, right. it is critical that we go out to look for those skills to complement what we have internally. So it's, it's almost like a dance between internal and external requirements. But if you don't have the data to substantiate your decisions, then you will always go back to what's easier, which is let's go outside and look for someone. And that is the, the recipe, again, for disaster because you will be then ignoring the people that you have internally that could potentially 
progress, contribute, and who they and who already know your organization, already know your culture, already know your processes. So they are, in effect, better suited to take um, faster uh, progress and make yep. faster impact internally. Correct. So it's basically, you know, you need, you've got to start with the data, start with the proof, uh, start with some kind of pattern that shows you which is which, what should I do at the moment? Yes. I mean, um, I don't know about you, um, Ashvin, but uh, lately I have been uh, watching a lot of news and I am obsessed with Governor Cuomo from New York. And oh, yes. he's, been, he's been doing daily briefings to his citizens, talking to them about the pandemic. And he says something um, which strikes me as relevant to this conversation. If you don't have the facts in front of you, you cannot form an opinion. You cannot give an opinion without the facts. So yeah, the facts are critical to form an opinion on someone. As much as the facts on the pandemic are critical to form an opinion as to how to manage it. So yes. information is critical to succession planning and to talent management overall. Definitely. They, I think that, that is definitely a good point over there. Moving, moving from that process to, to what companies, a lot of companies are going through today and something I know you have expertise in, which is, you know, strategy change and transformation. Now that a lot of companies are uh, re-evaluating their operating models, they're of course going to need a shift in sort of their talent strategy to support that. And typically we've seen succession planning as a model that is focused a lot on performance on the job. But of course, you know, as we're going through uh, operational shifts, performance on the job is a bit hard to evaluate, uh, but more also becomes hard to evaluate someone's potential. So how do we, how do we create this new model of what does it mean of a high performer. Yeah. Um, again, if we go back, um, I think the traditional models of succession planning have always had the matrix of performance and potential. Uh, yeah. the, the issue has always been that uh, for most of it, performance is a somewhat clear cut process where we assign numbers and ratings to employees and we can sort of justify the way that we are coming up with that evaluation. Whereas when we talk about potential, it becomes slightly more either subjective or difficult to quantify. So the, the, the thinking has to be, okay, if we acknowledge that defining potential is slightly more difficult, then how can we manage um, more objectively the, the concept of potential? And in my mind, there are certain elements that we should be looking at whenever we look at potential. Uh, and we can look at that through the opportunities that we are giving our employees to do more than they are expected to do. So let me give you an example that uh, relates to precisely what we're going through at the moment. Um, in one of the organizations that I'm working uh, with in the reopening process, um, there was, I mean, they, they are quite um, informal around managing their talent, but they have a way to test their employees and they keep on doing those tests to see whether individuals will be able to take more or not. 
So right. recently uh, there was an issue with one of the employees and the decision was taken to remove this employee for a part, from a particular responsibility. And that responsibility was given to somebody relatively new in the organization. Now that decision uh, um, was not very uh, nicely accepted by another employee of the same team. Now, okay. that employee who was quite uh, dissatisfied with the decision taken um, is actually somebody that is considered a high potential and a high performer, and somebody that is considered almost ready to take on higher level jobs. But okay. the way in which this employee reacted to that decision took everybody aback because right. she decided to basically stop responding to her head of department, stop responding to her team members. She was working remotely. So the only way of oh. contacting the person is by WhatsApps or by phone calls or by meet and virtual meetings. And for three days, she totally ignored um, everybody except the general manager of the company. So uh, we came back and we discussed and we said, uh, what's going on here um, the decision of appointing somebody relatively newer to this role was to test whether the new person was ready to take on more and the organization thought that the more senior person was absolutely ready to take on more but this um, situation made them realize that this person may have an issue around her ability to control emotions, ability to internalize management decisions, ability to, as a senior person, demonstrate a composure and show example. So, so it made them realize a lot more, give them some information on even not only that role, but people around that role as well. Exactly. So you see how observation remotely can provide you data to see that this person may not be ready to take a higher level role because if you if you put her in a management position and she does not agree with something that a higher level manager uh, decides then her attitude will be of disagreement of defiance yeah. and to a certain degree of insubordination so that is a data point that should be captured around the potential of this individual to take on a higher level role so you see yeah. how uh, factual um, observations will become then important to organizations to determine does this individual have what it takes to take on more. So, yeah. yes. And you've even captured data that you weren't looking for to begin with. Yeah, we were not it, looking for it, but it came to us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's amazing. It's good. Yeah. So it's more factual. It may be more. Um, according to situations but these things are the ones that will tell us uh, if these individuals have or not potential that's why the 360 degree format may be a tool that will help leaders and uh, management to make this type of um, data collect collection points i totally agree with that and a lot of times we see performance as being a lot more obvious and sometimes it may over overshadow potential as well you know especially when someone is such a high performer you may be blinded as to suddenly i have a conclusion this person may be a high potential as well uh because it's so overpowering sometimes when someone is high in performance there's sort of potential there and i i want to perhaps bring up a point there uh, that you have mentioned which is important many organizations uh, are still very much focused 
on KPI and output to measure performance and are less focused on the behavioral element of the performance. So as long as you deliver your KPIs and your numbers, I am in a way closing one eye to your behaviors. But um, from my perspective, the behavioral element is perhaps much more crucial in evaluating potential than actual um, output and performance. Definitely. And I think, I think you know, you used to say this a long time ago, right? Skills I can teach, behavior I cannot. Yes. So that's, yes. The, that, that, that's something we've really got to look at as well. Absolutely. And I think, you know, one, one of the things that a lot of people are going through, and I'm sure a lot of people would like to hear from you about this, is what is the biggest challenge when it comes to developing talent internally when a company is going through transformation? What, what, what advice would you give to that as well? What do you think is the biggest challenge? And what, in your thoughts, would be one advice that you'd like to give them? I think the biggest challenge of managing talent when you are going through transformation is that um, you ignore as um, as a leader or as a management team a lot of the business as usual processes that are put in place to manage people in the organization. So we've, we put so much focus and emphasis on making the changes and changing the framework and changing the process and changing whatever it may be that you are changing that you ignore your business as usual processes. So when you're going through transformation, I think it's very, very critical to make sure that you have your transformation team focusing on what needs to change, but also your business as usual team focusing on keeping people engaged, keeping people productive, managing the talent management processes until the shifts and the transformation takes effect. Uh, let's assume that the transformation is not about our succession planning process, but it may sure. be just uh, some transformation on uh, organization structure design or our yeah. production line. So that has nothing to do with how we manage our talent. But many times, because of the amount of work involving the transformation, the more yep. business as usual activities are ignored. So that is a challenge that leaders face and that is something that i will say is critical in organizations ability to continue managing talent while undertaking transformations keeping that continuity going in in uh, despite of certain things being changed absolutely yeah and, claudia do you think people sort of during a transformation have sort of an internal bias to you know i, I we have worked this way before so it should work again this way so even though it may not be optimal, the people sometimes have that internal bias that tells me I, do, I don't need to change because it's worked previously. <laughs> Absolutely. So we must, um, as leaders, start from the understanding that as human beings, change is not a way of living. We are creatures of habit and we, are, we go to our comfort zone. We go to what we are knowledgeable with and able to deliver. So yep. when we are introducing changes, we need as leaders and as management teams to understand that resistance is a natural process that we as management need to drive, need yep. to understand and need to um, support people because everybody goes through the process of resisting the change, understanding the change, buying into the change and then making that change. So if yep. we don't 
take people through that process and expect them to just simply switch a button and do things differently, what we will find is that we are ourselves alone and unable to make the transformation stick and last. Because people don't understand, don't want to understand, or people don't, don't want to make any change that may impact them directly. Is that, and, and I think this would be a very important point as well, is that something leaders can do to make that, to take people through that change process a bit easier? Absolutely. So there is, again, a process uh, that you take when you undertake transformation. So I will, I will basically detail it in a very, in a very quick way. I mean, we can have two hours conversation on this, but knowing that this is not the topic as such, I'll just give you the high level. The first thing that any leader needs to do is articulate what is changing and why right. it is changing. Uh, that is the first thing. Internally, we as an organization need to understand this is changing because of particular reasoning and need to show to people what happens if we don't change. That's what I call creating the burning platform. Um, right. Showing to people that if we don't change, the impact to individuals and the impact to the organization will be whatever it may be. So that's step number one. Step number two is widely communicating this to employees. And when I say communicating, is not just sending a PowerPoint with information, but it's really going down to talk to people, to listen to their views, because many times management does not understand production, management don't understand the impact of taking certain decisions. So the more you talk to people, the more you understand whether what you are thinking will actually make sense. So I think an important point you brought up is two-way communication. It's not only about the talking, but going down and listening as well. Absolutely. And it's a constant, it's a constant process because one, once you decide what needs to happen, once you've communicated the reasons, once you start listening to that feedback, you may realize, okay, maybe this way is not the right way. Maybe we need to yeah. include or consider this or that. So there is a loop that you take and that you continuously deploy while making that transformation going through because that will tell you okay we're in the right direction or we need to tweak our system our process our practice and obviously the third step is we cannot we, we have to remain flexible we have to look at our transformation plan and make the adjustments along the way we cannot Correct. create a strategy and expect the strategy to work perfectly along the transformation yeah flexibility flexibility in yeah. any part of the process absolutely perfect i think i think that's a very good way to summarize that so just to wrap it up um managing succession planning in this new normal any final thoughts from you claudia well um i think this is the best opportunity that any organization, big, small, startup, SME has to rethink everything related to how they have traditionally managed succession planning. And if they've never done it, then this is the right opportunity to start thinking about it and stop being overwhelmed by the process and the forms and um, all the complexity of it. Um, this is um, this situation has brought to light the need to simplify, the need to make things less complex and much more output oriented. So, if organizations are able to 
put in place a infrastructure that is efficient, that is nimble, and that focuses on output, I think um, we will be in a much better position to understand the internal talent that we have and ascertain what do we need to do to not just identify them, but to nurture them along the way so that they eventually become much more ready to take over higher level positions or not just higher level positions, but other positions for that matter. Yeah, I think because, you know, lateral movements are also critical at this point in times. But like you were saying, I think it's very important that people stop uh, having this uh, connotation that we need to build complex SOP type things in this environment, but rather be nimble, be flexible at this point in time. Absolutely. Yeah. Perfect. Well, I think we've reached the end of our session here. Thank you very much, Claudia, for your thoughts. I think everyone's going to be really excited to hear what you have to say on this topic. I think you definitely are known as someone in the industry with this knowledge. And I think we've definitely shared, you've definitely shared with us a lot today. Thank you, Ashvin, for inviting me uh, to share my thoughts. And um, it's great to have uh, partnerships and collaborations with organizations like yours who can also support clients in creating a much more efficient and effective infrastructure to manage talent and to manage succession as one of the most important elements of how we deal with people in our organization. Definitely. Thank you, Claudia. Thank you so much. Hope to speak with you soon. You too. Stay safe. <laughs> you too. Take care. And that's a wrap for the very first episode of Ascendo Connects podcast. You can check on our social medias for details on episode two.